Well, here we are again. Awful quiet. It's, uh, can I say, uh, you don't get used to it. But we should not get used to it. Uh, it should uh, really excite our spirits about the future. You know, one thing as I sat there this morning and thought about is quarantine and social distancing does not stop trials and tribulations. It does not stop disappointments. And uh, it does not stop Satan from trying his best to distract us and cause us to get our attention off the Lord. This morning, I want you to look with me in your Bibles to Luke 24. Luke 24, we're on the tail end, and this basically, the story happens the afternoon of uh, the resurrection, and uh, so uh, we're just kind of following in because I just, you know, one Sunday doesn't do justice about Easter. We, we will often come in, and even if you uh, go through a Lenten season uh, in your denomination, uh, it's, 40 days is not enough. It should be 365 days a year that we talk about a risen Savior. And so today I want us to look at something a little different at the end. And you've heard, heard it. It's not really different. You've heard it many times. But I think it's very encouraging for this day. I want to ask you a question. Have you ever lost hope? I'm talking about, I'm not talking about in the fourth quarter when you realize you're not going to win the game. I'm not talking about when you give up, you know, eight runs and 15 hits in one inning. That's not the kind of hope I'm talking about. I'm talking about real hope. I was thinking December 26th, not the 25th, December 26th, Boxing Day, is usually the most melancholy day of the year. Some people are so excited to get their Christmas tree up that uh, they put it up on Halloween. It gives them a reason to put it up. And, they, and I love having all the decorations and I love all the lights. But many of those who like them up so early and the excitement that goes along with it, as soon as the sun breaks on December 26th, they're ready to take it down, pack it up, and make it disappear for another year. It's, it becomes a very melancholy day. It's, it, the excitement is gone along with all the decorations. Now, some people really like the excitement because they leave their decorations up year-round. Uh, but the truth is, on this day, hopes of some gifts that we desperately hope for have gone unrealized. You ever have one of those? I've had a few of those. I've had a, a dad who tricked us into thinking that our, our hope for that, that uh, BMX bike that we so, so much hoped for had been dashed only to find them hidden in the kitchen. Now that was hope deferred, and it did make my heart sick for a while. But there have been Christmases where I had told what I wanted, this is what I want from the old Christmas wish list, and we'd make our list only to find out that the day had come and gone and our hopes went unrealized. What are you hoping for today? 
What are you hoping for today? April the 19th, am I right? I think it's the 19th. We're still in 2020. I mean, it's been three years all month long. On this day, as we're roughly a month into this pandemic, where it has hit us personally, what are we hoping, hoping for today? Open churches? I know I am. Open schools? I know a lot of mamas and daddies that are. How about work? I know millions of people who have been furloughed, who have been laid off. Many are hoping for work. They're hoping for many of these things. But I really, really, and I, I don't want to make you mad this morning. I want you to understand the depth of where we're going. What if God is allowing this to continue that this pandemic would show us where our hope really should be? That our hope is not in the local building. Now, listen, I am, and, and listen, God has shaken every pastor to his core when it comes to preaching Hebrews 10.25. That we forsake not the assembling of ourselves together. And I'm going to tell you, if you think you can get the fellowship, you can get the strengthening and discipleship at home off a computer once this is passed, you are sadly mistaken. I am praying for the day that we're able to meet in worship again. But is God not doing this? I heard one of my dear friends speak about this this morning, that one of the greatest moments in history when the gospel was being preached the, the, the most and it was spreading the fastest was coming out of a dungeon by a man named the Apostle Paul. True quarantine. You think you've got it bad? He couldn't go fishing. He couldn't walk around his backyard, much less anyone's backyard. And yet he began to pen and with his weakened eyesight and those who had come alongside and scribed for him, he was sending letters to Colossae and uh, Philippi and to Rome and to other places that we read and preach out of today. The gospel must be preached and it cannot be stopped. So, what if God is allowing this? Luke, here Luke 24 shows us that believers occasionally lose sight of our hope and with despair. But if you are not a follower of Christ, and hear me today, if you are not, you're a follower of religion, and listen, I, with the crosses and with the signs and with the posts, faith over fear, faith over fear, but your faith is only as strong as what you have it in. If our faith is in a lighted cross, then that's all it is. But if our faith is in the one who left the cross empty, who was taken down and then vacated a borrowed tomb, one who can do something about our lives, then that's another story. It is my prayer that you will trust Christ and receive the eternal hope found in Him and Him alone. Today's focus takes place on Easter afternoon on a seven-mile stretch between the city of Jerusalem and a place called Emmaus. Two dispirited and bewildered disciples discuss the day's events on their way home. Could have even been a married couple. 
They entertained a stranger who turned out to be the only person in Jerusalem who could make sense out of the weekend's tragic turn of events. Think about it. A week before, it looked like all the hope of their world advancing had taken place. All the hope of a new Israel, a new government, getting rid of Rome, everything was about to change. And they knew the guy who was going to do it. Luke records this scene that could have happened to any one of us. Two believers struggling to make sense of calamity. Jesus and his kingdom seemed to be defeated and Satan seemed to be in charge. Does this sound familiar? As we watch the news, as we read the statistics, as we focus on things that are in our line of sight and our spirit every day, what can we learn from this scene today? I want you to look with me in Luke 24. He said in verse 21 that these two said, but we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. In saying that, they're saying Jesus was not who we thought he was. For we thought him to be something else. And so I want you to look back with me in verse 13. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. They talked together of all these things which had happened. And so it was that while they conversed in reason, the, the Holman Christian standard said that while they were discussing and arguing. I don't know how much arguing was going on, but they were in deep conversation and trying to understand what was happening. And while they did, verse 15, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. I want to tell you a scary thought, Christian, is to go through life or go through a day and God speak to you and you not see who he is that we have our spiritual senses dulled to the point that all we see is temporal, selfish, self-serving, fleshly, carnal things, and we do not see Jesus in and through the actions of our life and our world. I've said it before and I'll say it again. This pandemic is no surprise to God. And for whatever reason, why it's here, I can assure you of one thing. God is sovereign, God is on His throne, and God is over it all. He controls it. If He wants it to be over, He snaps His finger, it's over. If He wants the Red Sea to split, He just sticks His hands in and He splits it. If He wants the storm to stop, He just simply speaks to it. Be still. Whatever the Lord wants. The Old Testament speaks of God backing the sun up causing it to go dark in the middle of the day. God can do whatever He wants. You see, today as we look through these verses, we see that without Christ, life can be very overwhelming. I know for me, even this morning, life seems overwhelming until I put my eyes back on Jesus. When I was a, a young man or as a boy, Mom and Dad took me to swimming lessons. I flunked it every time. Flunked it every time. 
throw me in like a rock straight to the bottom. Because I did not fully respect or understand the teacher. And so one day at the Voyager Hotel in Daytona Beach, Florida, my dad, being the man he is, said, I'll teach him. And he did. And he didn't say, come on, baby, come over here. It was see the pants in the water. I'm not going to let you drown. And I had to trust him. But between me here and dad saying, trust me, I swore I was going to drown. And so I was chopping and paddling for everything I could. And when I finally got a hold of him, I didn't want, I, didn't, I don't know if I wanted to hug him or choke him. But then dad said, you realize you just swam. And from that point, I began to take lessons and I would pass and I would take advanced lessons and I would take uh, intermediate and I would take all the way up to where I took lifeguarding. And I took the most advanced lifeguarding of the time. And I mean, we had to jump in. We couldn't touch the sides for an hour. We had to swim in our clothes, all this kind of stuff. And some people said, why would you go to all that extreme? I want to tell you something. There was on at least three occasions that I saw the most terrorized look in people's eyes. Two were very small children, and one was a 17-year-old teenager. And there is no fear like the fear in the eyes of someone that believes they're going to drown, and they were drowning. And because of that training, I was able to get down, turn them around, go through my training, and all the training kicked in, and I was able to put my arm, and no praise to me. I want you to realize something. This overwhelming, you look. If we would slow down in our life right now and look at family, look at friends, look at people on the news and look deep in their eyes, it's the idea, it's the eyes of men and women and children who are drowning in sin. There's a great fear and no hope. I can remember looking at that child in that swimming pool who had jumped through the little life preserver that she was playing with and all of a sudden the life preserver was floating away and she couldn't reach it and with all desperation this fear this overwhelming loss of hope just resonated from her eyes and in one fell swoop I was able to jump in grab her throw her up on the side she was a little bitty thing Different story with a 6'4", 17-year-old that nearly drowned me with him. Some are easier than others, but the truth is that without Christ, life can be overwhelmed. These two disciples were about as low as they could get. They thought Christ was gone forever and would no longer be a part of their lives. It is no wonder they felt overwhelmed. Life would be over, overwhelming without Christ. Would you not agree? I cannot imagine facing what we're facing today without Christ. I hear this so often from church members, believers in Christ, as I stand beside them at the graveside, and though they are dearly brokenhearted for their loved one, their hope is in Christ, and they turn to me and they say, Pastor, how do lost people do it? I am overwhelmed right now, but I know my Redeemer lives. How do lost people do it? I have no idea. 
this feeling of being overwhelmed can lead to frustration. You can see that in their conversation. Uh, uh, they were disputing and discussing. They, they were trying to understand with their earthly mind what was going on. They were struggling to make sense of a seemingly senseless death. Why, why would God allow this to happen? Have you ever been following, man, you were prayed up, you were read up, and you said, oh God, boy, I'm right where I need to be, and you thought this is where God was going, and then all of a sudden, seems like life doesn't throw you a curveball. It's a full-blown Phil Necro knuckleball. And you don't know if it's going to hit you, strike you. You have no earthly idea. But what you do know is everything that was planned, everything you thought you were prayed up for has been turned upside down. You know what our first, first question is? Why? God, I don't get this. I'm trying to pray. You know I've prayed. God, I have read through the Bible this year. Lord, I'm read up. I'm prayed up. I even told somebody the other day, Jesus loves you. I'm going to tell you something. If you think that your obedience is tied to the lack of problems, then you are a believer in prosperity gospel. You think because you do good, everything will be good. I'm going to tell you, that all sounded good when it was on the football field with Earth Russell. But when it comes to faith in Christ, listen, Paul, Peter, they all died preaching the gospel. Are you telling me they did something wrong? Let's not forget that the widow who was so faithful, we think because she put in her two mites, she should have retired a millionaire. God should have just poured it out. I mean, she gave it. Boy, God ought to do. And you know, sometimes we get in the way of God building us by building our worldly prosperity. Prosperity of the world, temporary things, are not always tied to spiritual faithfulness. We must be faithful no matter what. Though he slay me, yet will I praise him. Yet will I serve him. Yet will I love him. The Lord gives, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Why would God allow this pandemic to happen? Why would God, you say, well, the world's in terrible shape. Yeah, but the world's been in bad shape. Why? Would God allow something to happen to a family who's being faithful and serving and loving? They struggle. Why would a good God allow bad things? They struggled hard to come up with an answer. Jesus saw they were overwhelmed with sorrow. It said in verse 17, Jesus spoke and said, Why are you so sad? He just being real honest. Why are you sad? They were grieving the death of a friend and teacher. These were disciples now. Not the apostle disciples, but these were followers. They had walked along. They had heard him speak. No doubt they may have stood on the banks of the Sea of Galilee and heard him stand in a boat and speak, or they may have been there. Their first experience with Jesus may have been when they saw five loaves and two fish. I don't know. It could have been. What I do know is that they were overwhelmed with grief and sorrow. They were sorrowful that they no longer would be able to sit at the feet of Jesus and learn or fellowship with him around a table or 
hear of his fantastic exploits all over the country. Life would not be the same without Jesus. For that reason, they were understandably sorrowful. Here's the illustration to this. Here's the application. Sometimes we have a war of expectation versus reality. And the expectation is not built on a trusting faith. It's built on an expectant faith of expecting God to do what we think He ought to do rather than the reality that He is God and we're not. Does that make sense? Expectation versus reality. We expect that when we get this age, we'll have this built up, we'll have this nest egg, we'll be able to do these, but we do not foresee the problems that may come along. Yes, in America, our, the stock market had went out through the roof. Unemployment was at its lowest point. And in a matter of one month, it has been, now the stock market is coming back up. But unemployment is higher than it's been in, I don't know when. But it could not be avoided under the situation. I do not blame Trump or the governors. I do not blame any of those. There's no, there's, I'll let God take care of the blame. The truth is, that all of a sudden everything was turned upside down. From the triumphal entry to that fateful day they nailed him to the cross, it seemed all hope was lost. They were overwhelmed because their expectation did not match reality. We'll get to why. They were also overwhelmed with disappointment, disillusionment. Look at verse 20 and 21. How the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and they crucified him. But we were hoping that it was him. It was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, this is the third day since these things happened. They crucified him. But we were hoping he was the one that would redeem Israel. Do you recognize their disillusionment? Their disillusionment here, they had pinned all their hopes on Jesus, but now they feel as though their dreams will never come true. Well, I thought if I loved you, Jesus, and I trusted you, Jesus, then Jesus, you were going to be the one that was going to do these things. When we have Christ, we can overcome any disappointment life may hand us, but we must remember in the most difficult time of our lives, in their life, Jesus drew near to them. Look in verse 15. And Jesus himself drew nigh or drew near and went with them. They thought Jesus had left them. They thought Jesus had abandoned them. Not of his own choosing, but that he wasn't really, they're saying he wasn't really what we thought he was. And so he abandoned us. He, he lied to us. He's left us. And all of a sudden, they don't even know it. And Jesus has come to them. He's drawn himself close. There are days in your life where you feel absolutely, completely alone. And Jesus is standing there right beside you. He's there for you today. In the quietness of your home, in the madness of what's going on in your spirit, your head, and on the news, and on your job, and in your checking account, Jesus is there if you're a believer. 
He's there. He knows you by name. And he wants you to understand who he is. That he will draw nigh to you. Jesus shows great concern for their feelings. He said in verse 17, what, what, what's the deal with this conversation that you're having? That you walk in are sad. You ought to be walking in joy today. It's a beautiful day. Why are you so sad? It's because he cared. Jesus legitimately cared about their feelings. He showed great concern. They're, you know, I don't like paintings of Jesus. Most of all because they make him look lily white and weak kneed. They make him look like he never left the safety of his mother's apron. Jesus was a man. And I think he had man's hands. And I think Jesus spoke with a man's voice. The Bible's very clear that there was nothing tremendous to look upon. He was a man just like you and I. Yet he was God in the flesh. And you see, Jesus came alongside and they didn't recognize him. Is there lack of recognition because he is now glorified or is it more because their spirit's not right within them? Jesus told John to write to the seven churches and the last thing he told them, let those who have ears that are willing to hear, hear. Sometimes we could put it in this, let those who have spiritual eyes to see, see what God wants to show us. What is God showing you through this slowdown? What is God showing me through this period of not being able to meet together as a whole church? Man, I've been so encouraged. Church members call all week, text. How are you doing? We miss you, you know. And I'm like, it's great that they remember. But then it reminds me how much I miss them. I want to tell you, I want to give you a secret snippet into a pastor's life. So on Sundays when regular church is going on and we, we hear the great singing and we get through praising the Lord in music and then I get up and I preach the word of God and then we give an invitation, whatever happens, happens, and then we shut it down. I'm usually one of the last, if not the last one to leave. I like to let my spirit calm down a little bit, and then I get in my truck and I drive home. When I get home, I go in and I like to just take my jacket off, take my tie off, and sit down for a minute. And when I sit down, I not sit, go straight to the table or anything like that. Sometimes I don't even want to eat lunch. I just go sit down. And when I do, I start reflecting on the morning service. How did it go? What, what did I get from the music? What did I hear? What did I mess up on? What did I say I shouldn't have said? Or what did I not say that I should have? And then I start thinking, well, who wasn't there today? Now I want to tell you, the older I get, the more I think that way, not in the negative connotation, but I wonder what's wrong. And I know as a staff, we come in on Monday and say, hey, have y'all heard from so-and-so? I didn't see him yesterday. Well, that has not gone away for me through this pandemic. I go home on Sunday, or it may be Monday, and I'll think, 
Well, I didn't see sister so-and-so at church. I wonder where he was at. I wonder if he's okay. And then it strikes me. No one was there. But what it does is it reminds me, so I pick up the phone and call him. Hey, I was thinking about you. Just wanted to call and check. There's never a moment in our life the Lord's not there for us to talk to him as a believer. We need to realize how much he cares. Their lack of understanding led to their disappointment. But there's another principle found here in verses 25 through 27. That is, hope is found in God's word. Remember when I talked about expectation versus reality? Not understanding what they were experiencing? You see, here in verse 25, he said, he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, where did Stephen begin to preach? Where did Peter begin to preach? Where did Paul begin to preach? Back here at the beginning. And at the beginning, at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. I've been very blessed in my ministerial life to have sat under some of the greats that are all going to be with the Lord now. I used to go to the pastor's conference in Jacksonville every year. Got to hear Adrian Rogers so many times and heard his last message at the Southern Baptist Convention in Nashville. What a giant. To hear Homer Lindsay Jr. preach. Or to hear some of the greats, such as Bible teachers such as Warren Wiersbe, expound the word, or Dr. John Phillips. I even had him in service with me one time in our last church one of the last Bible conferences he did. I was able to sit in an apologetics class when Norman Geisler was taking a sabbatical from his school and come taught my class. Unbelievable. I cherish, cherish those moments. But you know, there's nothing like sitting down, reading God's Word, and God speak to my spirit and to illuminate His Word. I think it's clear from verse 21 that they had lost hope, but Jesus showed them the things from God's eternal perspective, and their hope was restored, and they found encouragement. First of all, it, this hope is found in God's Word through the law. So, oh, we're not under law, we're under grace. So we can go kill and steal and rape and pillage? And take what is our neighbor's. No, we are still under the law, but not for salvation. It was never for salvation to start with. It was to show them they couldn't keep the law. It is our schoolmaster. Yet Jesus came and fulfilled it all. But we, we don't skip the Old Testament. I was talking to someone the other day. If you have not been able to go to the dentist, you know that... My dentist called my office the other day, called my house the other day and said, Dr. Brady, we're not going to be able. I said, I get it. Don't want to go. I'm good. We'll make up for it. If you've not been able to go to the dentist and you just feel a, a deep seated need 
for a dentist-type appointment, read 1 Chronicles. That will fulfill your missing time with the dentist. Or read, read the law through Leviticus for a while, through some of that. Now, the thing is, it becomes very weighty, and you read all the genealogies. But I want you to always remember something with me. If God didn't think it was important, he wouldn't have inspired it and put it there. Without genealogies, you don't have Jesus. Right? Without the law, the old covenant, you don't have a new covenant. Without the old law, you don't have grace. For you see, we must understand the law. He expounded the law of Moses. He expounded on all the prophets. I wonder what all he talked about. I wonder if he talked about Malachi and Obadiah. I wonder if he talked about Ezekiel and Daniel or was it Isaiah and Jeremiah and Nahum and Habakkuk. I don't know. Was he just really delving into those like Elijah and Elisha? But what I do know is he expounded on the law and all the prophets and then he goes on into all the scriptures. In all the scriptures, the things he expounded concerning himself. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? He said, hey, remember that second psalm that King David wrote? That was me. Remember the 22nd? That was me. Hey, do you remember that scripture that you heard about in Isaiah 7, 14 and 9, 6 and chapter 53? Well, there wasn't chapters, but over there at the latter part of, uh, of the the prophet Isaiah, you remember? That's me. You remember Genesis? You remember at the start of Genesis at, when God is cursing Adam and Eve and the serpent? You remember that? That's me that's going to crush Satan. That's me that was different than all the corruptible seed. That's me. The Word of God Gives hope. Would you agree with that? I want to tell you a story of a very. I talked about some of the greats. I want to give you a story about a very influential Southern Baptist pastor, even famous, the pastor of the historic First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas, Dr. George W. Truitt. He experienced and saw. A sorrow and lost hope like many will never experience. It happened when he accidentally shot his friend, Captain J.C. Arnold, on a hunting excursion. His biographer wrote, Truett was in agony and anxiety and self-condemnation. He paced the floor day and night. He was unable to sleep and he ate practically nothing. A visit to Arnold's home added to his agony of spirit in spite of the hopeful words of the doctors and nurses from the first he sensed that Chief Arnold would not recover. He sought to comfort Mrs. Arnold who also was a faithful member of his church but he realized how empty his words must have sounded. And after several days... His friend, Chief Arnold, died. Truett, understandably, was inconsolable. He told his beloved Josephine that he would never preach again, that he would have to leave the ministry. Listen, pastor friends that are tuned in, 
We've all had moments. We may not have shot our best friend, but there's been times in our life we felt so overwhelmed we thought we could not preach again. We've told our wives, I quit. I can't, I can't do this anymore. Christians, you may not be a pastor, but you said, I can't do this anymore. I can't teach this class anymore. I can't serve with the youth anymore. I can't work with children anymore. I don't know what your past is, but what I do know is who Jesus is. And I know what God's Word said. And Truett had to find that out. Truett opened his Bible again. He sought consolation and strength in its words. Truett found hope in the pages of his beloved Holy Bible. The biographer wrote through God's Word, the Holy Spirit moved on through it in a powerful way in the coming days. Word got around that he would preach again that following Sunday. Nearby Methodist and Presbyterian pastors adjourned their evening services to worship with their friends at First Dallas. I shall never forget his voice that morning as we heard for the first time the note of sadness and pathos which now we know so well, said one of his members. That ordeal was heartbreaking for the pastor. There's no doubt that it was the crucial experience of his life. There are some tragic events in life that We'll never understand until we meet Jesus. We can argue and debate why like the two Emmaus Road disciples did or we can turn to God's word for strength, comfort, and hope. There's many places we all have, have our favorite verses. Whether it's Psalm 91 or whether it's 1 Peter 5, 7, whether it's Philippians 4, 6, and 7 or Romans 8, 28, the psalmist wrote, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Psalm 119, 169 said, Let my cry reach you, Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. I want to tell you, if you feel just all discombobulated through all this, and you don't know which end is up, you don't know how to understand things, but you keep reading, listen, maybe, and I'm, I've got a, library full of commentaries and everything else, all kinds of monographs on certain subjects, maybe what you need to do is sit aside and just bathe yourself solely and completely in the Word of God. Are we going through explicable sorrow? Some are. If you watch the news of New York, it breaks my heart to see that almost 700 of our fellow Georgians have lost their life to this pandemic. There's great heartache and great sorrow. I want to challenge you. Turn to God's Word, His Holy Word for comfort, answers, and hope. And then we've got to look for Jesus in our difficulties. It's real easy to look away from God during difficulties, isn't it? He said in verse 28, they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would... Go on past them, go farther, but they constrained him. He was Jesus, the last person they expected to see, so they were not looking for him. 
You ever been in a place in your life where you knew you didn't belong? And so the last person you expected to see was Jesus, but that's the exact person you saw. They had the idea that they were all alone in this difficulty. So how did they find Jesus? First of all, they constrained him. They understood the word of God and their spirit groaned within them to hear more of what he had to say. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the one speaking is the one that is being read about. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This always blows my mind. When Jesus, you know, in Luke 4 and other places, over and over where Jesus quotes the Old Testament, all He's doing is saying, hey, you remember when I said this to so-and-so 3,000 years ago? Because He is the Word. He's not quoting Isaiah. He's quoting Himself and what He told Isaiah to say. The very... God, a very God, was the one talking with them. And he constrained them. It was the exposition of God's word that spoke to them. They wanted the expositor to stay, so they constrained him. When you're really blessed by something, you don't want it to stop, do you? They understood something was different. And they did not want it to stop. They surrendered control. Look in verse 30. Now it came to pass as he sat at table with them that he took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them. The one who was guest had now become host. He was in their home. He was sitting at their table, yet it was him that conducted this meal. He broke the bread. He blessed it. The real story here is not that Jesus took over, but that they surrendered. They were arguing, fighting, resisting the will of God back in verse 15. But 15 verses later, they had fully surrendered control by Him. Praying, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. That is the most difficult prayer you and I will ever pray. It was difficult when Jesus prayed it as a man. And yet he did it there in the garden. It is the first step for us toward peace. Say, God, I, I don't know what tomorrow holds, but you hold it. And so, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. About my finances, about my family, about my health, whatever it may be. We used to sing, I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. But if we do not practice it, we will remain forever disappointed in life. But they had surrendered control. They experienced Christ in their home and they felt Christ in their hearts. He said in verse 32, and they said one to another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? Sitting in your home today, pulled over in a vehicle somewhere, in a police car or in an ambulance, sitting outside your helicopter, wherever you may be, watching the service today, not because of me, but the power of the spoken word of God, you may be overwhelmed with hope because of who he is right now, today. Because you feel Christ in your heart speaking to you. Your heart is burning. Oh, I, 
I want to know God. I want to be saved. I want to trust Him. I've been faking it. I've been trying to make it uh, uh, through being a good daddy and to work really hard. I even go to church. I even serve in a position. But you know, God knows, that you have never repented of your sin, got on your face, and prayed for the Lord to forgive you and cleanse you and to save you. Today's the day. They had no idea when they got on that road what they would experience in that seven-mile stretch. And today you had no idea when you tuned in, you sat down with your wife, sat down with your husband, sat down with your parents, you had no idea what I was going to preach. You had no idea what you were about to hear. But right now the Spirit of God is burning within your heart and you must cry out, Oh God, save me. If you're saved, you're crying out, Oh God, make me what you want me to be. You see, when hope is resurrected, that's what they were missing, right? All their hope ended at the cross. But hope had not stopped. Jesus had not stopped. He was even going into captivity, leading them captive. God was at work. He had defeated death, hell in the grave when they met him. Notice the change in the lives of these disciples once their dead hope became alive. First of all, in verse 32, they were spiritually renewed. It said, Did not our hearts burn within us while we, He taught with us on the road and while He opened the Scriptures to us? They'd become new. Ezekiel tells them that we ought, he prays, he said, oh God, give me a new heart. Some of us need a heart surgery. We become hard, callous, cynical. We doubt anyone and anything. We see a demon under every rock. We're against any kind of religion, any preacher, any Christian. And today, God is trying to soften your heart. And he's doing so with the fire of conviction. Listen to him. They were being spiritually renewed. They were physically refreshed. Look in verse 33. So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem. Now they just left. And listen, they jumped jumped in the car. Seven miles is not a big deal. You know, jump in your car, take off. I'll be there down here in five minutes. Go about seven miles, five minutes down here. The truth is, It's like this. I just was there. When they say let us go up to Jerusalem, that's not a lie. There is not a place. Listen, if kids walk to school over there, that is the truth. They walk to school uphill both ways. Everywhere you go is uphill. They had just left Jerusalem, but now they're in a rush to get back down there to encourage others. So they were physically refreshed. It was like they had not even gone a mile. And then they were emotionally restored. He said in verse 35, And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. You all know how to tell people who Jesus is in your life? Tell them what he did for you. That's it. Your testimony is not mine. Mine wasn't someone else's. Don't embellish. Don't think that you've got to build it up. Listen, there's nothing greater than to say, I was a sinner and Jesus saved me. 
We think we've got to put all the focus on the sin. Don't give Satan all the glamour. Give it to the one who it belongs to, the one who conquered death, hell, and the grave, the one who put Satan down and stands victorious today. In closing, without Christ, life can be overwhelming. Hope is found in Christ and His Word. That's where we're going to find it. Not in the news. Even though it may encourage us, hope, real hope, hope not deferred, that blessed hope is Jesus. It's always been Jesus. Hope is found in God's Word. And then we must look for Jesus in our difficulties. He constrained them. Or they constrained Him to come in. They invited Him into their life. Today, will you constrain Him as a believer? Will you invite Him into your life to overwhelm you and surrendered control to Him? Only then, hear me today, only then will you experience the resurrection of hope. Can we truly say with the writer of that old hymn, my hope is built on nothing less. My hope, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but I wholly lean on Jesus' name. Today, may that be our prayer. May the burning in our hearts, the burning in our life, Drive us to the one who can do something about our life. May our hope be in Jesus and in Him alone. And then Andrew announced, you know, all of our things are canceled until for at least through the end of April. We were talking this morning about when do we think. I don't know. And so I'm definitely not going to say it on this camera. But I'm going to tell you what I hope it is. I hope it's soon. But whenever that day is, I want it to be God's will because as I said to start with, this deferred hope may be that God is driving us to Him. Let us constrain Him. Oh God, dwell within our hearts. Dwell in our home. Dwell in my life. Lord, let me not waste this time of having to slow down and be quiet to see that my hope rests only in you. If you want to talk to someone, you've got questions, fill out that communication form. We will get in touch with you. I pray this be a great, great week. Pray God would heal the sick. I pray God would comfort those who have lost loved ones. But more than anything, I pray that I hear someone place their faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. May God bless you on this Lord's Day. Be, be safe. Weather, bad weather supposedly is coming through Georgia today. I think even already in North Georgia. So mom and dad, y'all be safe. And I pray that God would bless us this week and that we would share our hope with someone else. May God bless you is our prayer.